The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. If you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right. You can see the faces made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And there you're going to see two videos on the top of the page. The one on the left side is an educational video from Bradley. Bradley's down in Arizona. So I'm assuming he's not going to be, I think he's down there for two or three days. So I'm assuming he's not going to be on the radio today. We'll have another education video, but if not, then he'll be live in that area at three o'clock. Otherwise it will change over to another one later on this afternoon, three o'clock Eastern on the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button. Blow it up on whatever device you got, and then look for the Rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble. Uh, we are streaming live to Rumble. By the way, good to see everyone in the chat. I know I, some of you guys are having a tough time. Um, my son-in-law has talked about being in there and trying to leave a message, and sometimes it won't leave and leave the message. I, it's Rumble. It's you know They're constantly doing little things. Um, <clears throat> so if you have a problem, look, if you have a problem... With Rumble, write to Rumble, support at rumble.com. Support at rumble.com. It's pretty simple. Let them know the problem you're having because they'll be the ones who are able to, to sort it out. I I don't know how to sort it out because I'm not creating the problem. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. Please subscribe to that, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Also, before it's news.com, top of the page over there, and we appreciate those guys giving us a spot uh, on their platform as well, because they get a lot of people over there and they they have believers and unbelievers. So it's great that we're able to go over there and, uh, and have our, have the message of the scriptures available on beforeitsnews.com. So we appreciate those guys right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Again, that goes out once a day between seven and 8 PM. Usually that includes the morning show archive. As you can see, uh, this is the one from yesterday, the teaching that's hamstrung the American church. Oh, that one kind of stung a little bit for some people. I understand. I get it. I get it. I've been there. I know I know how you feel, and that's why I'm sympathetic. I, I try not to get too bent out of shape because of what people have been taught. 
Um, it, it's hard to unlearn, but uh, nevertheless, that's there. That's what it looks like. Um, for those of you who are on the video platforms, you can check that out. Okay. Uh, and that comes in the email that comes out every night. So be sure and check that out. If you want our ministry email, you want to see what the Sons of Liberty have been doing, what we're going to do, um, or some special announcements that we have that goes out once a week on Saturdays. You can sign up for that on sonsoflibertyradio.com. And we appreciate your support of that. Okay. I'm not going to do tremendously what I did yesterday. I'm just going to briefly address something. Um, our friend Dino Fun, and I, I've seen Dino in the afternoon uh, chat. I haven't seen him or her, I'm assuming it's him, um, in the uh, in the morning show. But he did leave some lengthy comments, which thank you for leaving those comments. Um, there's a couple of things. I'm just going to address this because this is the one thing we did cover. And remember, if you have a question or something, I mean... I can I can see there's just assumptions littered throughout this. And Dino, I, I would just encourage you, go back to the first one that we did uh, on the Abomination of Desolation. Listen to them and go through the text. And as, I, as I've been saying, we have to conform to the Scriptures, not ask the Scriptures to conform to our thinking. And I, I see a lot of assumptions. I see... You know, the error of indoctrination. And look, I had it too, so I'm not trying to put anybody down, but I see that. But one of the things that, that Dino wrote, and this is something I can definitely speak to here, because, and I will speak to, because we've covered this. Uh, this is in the second comment. He says, Jesus didn't say the kingdom of God would come in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem. He said it was already there, started at the beginning of his ministry. Also, there are scriptures both in the Old and New Testament that talk of a literal reign of the Messiah on earth, the reign of Christ on earth, the reign of Christ on earth is not symbolic. Well, I didn't say it was symbolic. And yes, he did say the kingdom of God would come then. Let me show you. I have to open up my window. But this is to go over things that we've already talked about. So it's just to reiterate. And again, I would suggest you go back to the first one we did and just kind of walk through them. All I do is read the text. That's all I do. All right, so here is Matthew 24. I want you to see where Jesus said it was coming when he came. Okay? Verse 29 of Matthew 24. He's told about all these different things. He said, As the lightning comes out of the east and shineth in him to the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then in verse 29, he says, Immediately after the tribulation, what tribulation? The great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble that he references here in Matthew 24. That's what he's referencing. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. We did a show in which we showed how this is Old Testament language for this. the world that they knew was coming apart, it was falling down around their ears, and there was a new heaven and new earth coming. There was a new world, if you will. Okay? The destruction was so devastating, the world was gone for these people. And a new one instituted, and that is the new covenant world. And he says this, and then, when is then? Well, it's, it sounds like it's right on top of the immediately after the tribulation of those days. That's the way it reads. Shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That is not out in our future. That is in their immediate future. Why? Jesus tells us, verse 32, learn the parable of the fig tree. It's not about Israel. He's given a parable about how when you see these things happen, the things that he's spoken of, know that it is near even at the doors. And this is what he says. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, put it forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. And he says very clearly, I, he says verily or truly, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Those things were coming on that generation, not ours, not one in the future. It's coming on that one. He can't be clearer. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And you say, well, the kingdom of God didn't come. He had, had already been you know, established in his ministry. Well, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he said. He said, the king, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist said the thing. It's at hand. It's about to come on the scene. Messiah is here. He is here to do the, 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 the messianic work that he was prophesied to complete. So he says it's at hand, and he says the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. I keep having to reiterate this because if you're looking for this physical throne and all this stuff, you are engaged in the Jews' religion. And we're going to hear from the, the rabbi again this morning of exactly that. And again, we have to conform our thinking to what Scripture says. So when he says, so likewise ye, when ye see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. That's verse 33 of Matthew 24. What is the it? What is he talking about? Know that it is. We said this the other day. Luke 21, which is the parallel passage to Matthew 24, they're talking about the same things. They use the same language, except Luke tells you what the it is. He tells you about the fig tree, and then verse 31, So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. That is the it of Matthew 24. What verse was that? Matthew 24, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this in my ingrained in my head with that. Matthew 24, verse 33, Luke tells you what the it is of that verse. He tells you what it is in verse 31 of Luke 21. It is the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. So either we're going to conform to what Jesus says, and I'm telling you, once you get that down, and I think Matthew 24, Luke 21 are the they're plain. They're not written in, in a vision form. They're not written in poetry. They're not written in an apocalyptic sense or anything like that. They're pretty plain and straightforward. And if we'll do that, I think things start to open up that we see in other places. Oh, okay. I see how that works. Now, it may do a number on your head. I'm not saying it won't, because if you were taught like I was, then you have to unlearn things. And that's kind of that's kind of difficult to do. I don't know if you've, I mean, it's, it's difficult in anything, much less uh, scriptural teachings. But if you learn to do something like I, I, um, I cover the websites 
And so I have a certain way that I do things. And as I do them, you, you form a habit. It, it becomes continual. You, you just, auto, it's like it's an automatic muscle memory function kind of thing that you do. And if you're told, well, you need to start doing this, which is either an extra step or taking off something or doing a couple of things different, it takes some time for you to get that right. And you sometimes, I forget sometimes because I'm so used to doing it a certain way. Well, the same thing's true here. We, we've, gotten, we've gotten the wrong teaching and because we get the wrong teaching, then we look at things wrong. And I tell you, then it becomes a jumbled mess. We're trying to make the puzzle pieces fit instead of just seeing it. Well, here's what it said. It says it's going to be here. This is the way it's going to be. And so, yes, it did come with the coming of Christ in the clouds and power and great glory, just the way he said there in the first century. Okay, uh, so I, there's, a, there's a lot of other questions, Zach, Zechariah 14 and such like that. And I think, you know, the understanding that's presented here is, is a problem. But nevertheless, I appreciate your comments. I'm Like I said, I would try to, to deal with some of these things. But again, yesterday I hit on it. We've talked about it with Pastor Chuck Baldwin and Daniel chapter 9. There's no seven-year tribulation out in our future. It's not. There may be judge, the judgment of God on, our, on, our, on the United States. I'm not denying that. I've, Bradley and I both have said God doesn't change. We pointed to Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, a host of other places where uh, God does not change in how he judges. That, that may happen. Not denying any of that. But to say there's seven years out here, is to rip Daniel 9 from its context. And then there is, you know, again, in a book that's highly apocalyptic, the only place, the only place in Scripture, Revelation 20, that mentions a thousand-year reign, well, then I'm told, the comment is, there's a literal thousand-year reign. Really? You sure about that? Is there a literal chain that goes around a literal um, devil to be thrown into a, how do you, how do you put a chain around a spirit? And throw them in a literal abyss. I think there's the language there that says he's bound from deceiving the nations. That's what the text actually comes across and says. He's bound for a short time from, from deceiving the nations. And then he's loosed for a little bit. And, then, and if I wanted to take other people who want to talk about what we talked about yesterday is, well, time was different for God. He's outside it. Well, that's a given. Those things are a given. And they want to quote Peter, well, the day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years with a day. Well, okay, let me turn that around because those are the same people that believe in this quote-unquote literal thousand-year reign, which I don't think it is. Um, but they'll do that, and I say, well, what if that thousand years was just a day? What, what are you doing, Tim? That's not taking the Bible literally. Well, wait a minute. I'm just applying the same thing you did. You jumped right out of the context, and you did that. I'm just putting it right back in to show you that what you're what you're doing doesn't fit what's there. It just doesn't fit what's there. So I just take Jesus's words at face value. He said, the generation ain't going to pass to all be fulfilled. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe what Jesus is saying there, I don't know any other way to say it, but you're making him out to be a liar because it clearly came to pass the way he said. It clearly came to pass the way he said. So again, this is why I think, but I appreciate your comments. There's, 
And uh, there was another person who said, uh, reform world of two kingdoms. Yeah, I'm not for two kingdoms either. I'm not for two kingdoms either. I think the, if you want to call it the state, I, I don't even know that I want to call it that. If you took the, the ecclesia of God is a government of itself. It is the assembly of the people. In fact, and I want to say this, and I'm just going to get on because I don't want to get take up a whole show with this. But in fact, <clears throat> when you see in the Old Testament, when you go back and you look at the people of God, the assembly, the ecclesia that was there, the, the church, I, I got a friend who's preaching in my ear about the term church and why Wycliffe didn't use the term. He wouldn't translate the word ecclesia into church. And that was part of, that was a part of the culmination of why he was burned uh, because he wouldn't translate it the way uh, the church wanted him to translate it. He translated, he wanted to translate it as assembly. When you go in the Old Testament, what do you see? When there is judgment to be brought, what happens? The, the whole assembly of the people rise up, and they're to do what? We get an example where Achan goes in and he takes what he's not supposed to take, and they're going to stone him. They're going to stone his family. And what, what happens? The assembly of the people rise up, and they stone them with stones. This is why I've said the death penalty still applies. I don't want Washington doing it for sure. I don't want the state doing it. I want it as close to home as it can because the people who do it, if they're going to follow the biblical model, they're going to have to be involved in the punishment itself, the judgment itself. And I know of nobody, this guy included, who wants to sit there and throw rocks at somebody or whatever means that you're going to use to put them to death. I, I don't want to be a part of that. Yet the scriptures say if we're going to follow that, that's who it lies to. It lies to the assembly or the ecclesia, the people of God. Okay. All right. Now, with that said, and again, thank you guys for your comments. I'm sorry I'm not going to answer all of them because we haven't dealt with some of those. But those are at least um, two of the things that we have dealt with so far. So, um, yeah, I know you have questions. I would just say go back, start with the abomination desolation, the doing away with the old to establish the new. That was the first one. Then just move ahead as you see those in that series, which is about one every other. And then uh, Bradley has been gone for some days. So some of them run right together uh, because he didn't have an afternoon show. So you can find those on Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. All right. Now, with that said, Ezekiel 37. And before we do that, I'm going to read again. The kingdom. And again, <laughs> this goes to what Dino said. The kingdom of God, you know, didn't come in that first century. Well, yeah, it did. We just read Jesus' own words from Matthew 24, Luke 21. And now we're going to read them from Matthew 16. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Sounds just like Matthew 24, just like Luke 21. I think Mark records it in Mark um, 13. Sounds just like it. And he shall reward every man according to his works. That sounds like Matthew 25, which is right there in the context. Jesus didn't break and say, hey, this is way out in your future. No, it's all there in the same time frame. Verily or truly, I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now again, is Jesus telling the truth or is he not telling the truth? 
I think he's telling the truth. And I think even those who may disagree with me on all of these things, they would agree he's telling the truth. And that's what we're after. Why is he telling the truth? Because he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. All right, so with that said, Ezekiel uh, 27, or excuse me, 37, is where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to pick up the last parts, but what I want to do is I want to read it in its entirety. And before I do that, I'm going to play this little clip here from uh, this Rabbi Tobias Singer. And I want you to, to pay attention. If you're new listening, I want you to pay attention to what this Rabbi says. And I want you to think of preachers that you've heard who they would say Jesus is Messiah but they would make the same exact claims that this guy is making to say he's not the Messiah. Take a listen. My name is Rabbi Tovia. I'm the director of an organization called Outreach Judaism. I've devoted my life to helping Jews who've converted to Christianity return back to the Jewish faith. Evangelical Christians are targeting Jews worldwide, spending hundreds of millions of dollars to bring you and those that you love to the church. They claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the belief in the Messiah is uniquely Jewish and it's a fundamental principle of the Jewish faith. They claim that Jesus somehow fulfilled these prophecies, but really, what does the Jewish scripture say about the Messiah? Why doesn't Judaism accept this Christian claim? It's a fantastic claim, and it lacks evidence. Tanakh tells us, our Hebrew Bible tells us, that there are certain events will unfold in the Messianic age. When Mashiach comes, there'll be an ingathering the exiles. That's Ezekiel chapter 37. The knowledge of God will cover the world as the water covers the sea. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 and verse 10. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. That's Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 the temple the third and final temple will be rebuilt if you look today at the temple mount you'll see there a couple of islamic shrines and it's laying in destruction waiting for the redemption but ezekiel chapter 37 all the way through 47 describes the third temple that will will be there forevermore so we have all these messianic prophecies telling us what the mashiach is supposed to do and now we ask the question there have been hundreds of people throughout history, maybe thousands, who've claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus included. What do they all have in common? They didn't fulfill a single one of these prophecies. There was no building of the temple during the first century. In fact, it was destroyed. There was no ingathering of exiles during the first century. The Jews were exiled. There was no resurrection of the dead. The Jews were murdered by the Romans in the ongoing wars. There was no worldwide knowledge of God during the first century because as a result of these wars with Rome and the destruction, the havoc of the destruction of the Second Commonwealth, the knowledge of God and the observance of mitzvot were diminished. What's the key? The key is know your own Tanakh, know your own scriptures. If you can look at the great passages of Ezekiel and Isaiah, that tell us exactly what will occur. The lamb will lie with the lion. There'll be a worldwide peace when the Messiah comes. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Isaiah chapter 2, 
Are we living in a time when there is peace? No. We are living in a great time, however, where we're observing the events that are bringing us to this great redemption happening before our eyes. Know your scriptures, understand your own faith, and no missionary will be able to rob you of a relationship with God. Thanks for joining me. Okay. My right. name is Rabbi. Oh, sorry about that. <clears throat> um, okay, so here's the thing. If you want to call in, the phone number is 803-619-9855. 803-619-9855. Happy to take your comment or questions. But if you have questions and if you have a comment, let's stick to things we've covered. I don't want to get off on the other things yet because I'm just I'm just telling you I people are not ready uh if if you have the mindset in in your and you're doing like some of our friends with the comments you're not going to be ready to receive some of the things you're going to ask me about more than likely. I'm not saying you won't that that God can't do something there, but I just believe we lay the foundation of what's plain and then we can answer this question. So the number is 803-619-9855 and by the way somebody was asking, I think it was Dave on my personal channel on Rumble, he's saying, well, you, you got a phone number, but you don't take any calls. Well, it's cause people don't call. <laughs> and I'm not begging for calls. I'm just saying, if you want to call in, I'm happy to take your call. We can have a discussion. If you disagree, that's fine. We can have a discussion. I think that's helpful too. But um, <clears throat> this is the, this Jewish guy, and he's saying, I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah because, and he lists all these things. And one of those things is Ezekiel 37. This hasn't been fulfilled. And, you know, it's and, I'm, and we, we've already done one show on this. We did it on Saturday because Kate was not uh, feeling well. So we gave her the day off and just said, you know, rest yourself up and get get healthy, get strong again. And um, so we, we started in Ezekiel 37. We made it almost all the way through, but there was still some portions we didn't get to. So if you didn't hear the first part there, go to Saturday's show. And that's on Ezekiel 37. You can find it on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. All right, let's read Ezekiel 37. And then we're going to get to these texts. I'm going to try to move through them as quickly as I can. I added some more. <laughs> it's just like the scriptures open up on all these things. So anyway. Ezekiel 37, and we're going we're gonna to read the entire chapter just so we have it in our minds, and then we're going to focus on the parts where we left off, which was the two sticks, okay? We had we kind of rushed through that, and I want to kind of reemphasize that. So here's what we read. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, we covered all of this. We showed in the New Testament how these things were fulfilled. Okay, we, we, we looked at that and we showed it. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore, prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, brought you up out of your graves, we covered this as well, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came again unto me, and we showed how this was done, okay? And I'm probably going to elaborate just a tad bit more on that concerning this land issue, okay? Later on in the show. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions." and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. Okay? And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before thy, their eyes, and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations. What? Two nations? Neither shall be they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd, and they shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. Now, I can just see the way modern dispensationalism has been taught, and we 
mentioned that some of that yesterday. Played a clip from David Jeremiah and all the and that's the Bible ping pong I'm talking about. He doesn't go in a context and interpret the context in its context or the text in its context. He's just stringing stuff along to to make out a a a a last day scenario that he's going to pull back. And this is what dispensationalism does. It has a last day scenario that they don't understand last days properly. And if you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to Rumble, go to our channel, look up last days according to the Bible. I go through every reference of last days. What is it referring to? The last days of the old covenant in the first century. That's what it refers to. It doesn't refer to somewhere out in our future. It refers to that. So if you're going to talk last days from the Bible, then go find out what the Bible says about last days because it's in there. Okay. So with that said, some people are going to have a problem. They're going to go, oh, well, see, he's taking them back to the land. That's the land of Israel. Blah blah. We're going to we're going to look at some of that. Let's look at this issue of the sticks. We're just going to do a recap here of the two sticks that are that are told here. And he talks about bring the the. Those, the whole house of Israel, <clears throat> the, the two nations bringing them together and all of these kinds of things. And if you remember, the Old Testament talked about that they would be a light to the, that uh, the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. Uh, Abraham was told that, that in his seed, in Christ, we read that from Galatians chapter 3, that in Christ all the nations of the world would be blessed. And yes, Abraham was promised a certain land. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. That was promised to him, but it was almost like it was a down payment over the whole world. This little piece of land there in the Middle East was like God's down payment for what his seed would inherit. That is Christ and those who are in Christ, which is the world. He's going to take over all the land of the world. Okay? And we see in Matthew 21, this is what we this is what we read here. Remember, Jesus has told the parable of the vineyard. Okay. And in verse 40, he concludes that when the Lord therefore the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbands? The husbandman who's killed his the servants that's been sent to them, they've stoned them, they've run them off, they've beat them, all this, and then they killed the, the vineyard owner's son, the inheritor. What will he do to those husbandmen? And they say unto him, these are those guys who are trying to get him constantly uh, in the Gospels, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. Oh, did you get that? They get it. He's going to destroy those guys and he's going to bring in new guys, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus saith unto them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone? And we're going to do we're going to do some talks on this issue of the stone, because Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, but he's the chief cornerstone. Okay, so he says, "Did you not read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, here's the application of that parable and of what they understood: the kingdom of God." shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. What is this nation? This I, I believe this is the nation Ezekiel speaks about. It is the whole house of Israel. Okay? 
Now keep that in mind because we're going to go there. <laughs> we're going to go there to who is Israel in just a little bit. And he says, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. Interesting, isn't it? Yep. Jesus pulled it from them, and he gave it to a nation that would bear the fruits of. What was that new nation? Well, it was Israel. Not Israel as most people think of it, but it is the Israel of God. The Israel of God didn't come into existence, though, with the new, with the new covenant, per se. The, the ecclesia has, has been around for millennia. Just read Acts chapter 7 and see what Stephen says about it. There was, a, there, was a, there was an ecclesia. There was a church in the wilderness. He says it. I, I, I'm not making it up. It's right there in Acts chapter 7 when he goes through things. So the concept is not new, but there is a new covenant that comes so that the old one is done away with. Why? Because the, 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 it has better promises. I mean, the writer of Hebrews says. So with that said, we have... What we're focused on in Ezekiel is this latter part of what Ezekiel talks about, and he talks about these sticks. Now, just quickly, we read through it, but just so we kind of have our mind on this, he says something about the sticks. There's two sticks, and then he comes in in um, verse 19, and he says, And I will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand, and the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. Okay? And then he talks, and he saith, uh, saith unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. One king shall be their king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall be, they be divided into two kingdoms anymore at all. Okay, so we, we, this, is, this is clearly fulfilled in the New Testament. Here's Jesus. Uh, this is John chapter 10. Here's Jesus pointing out the scenario of what Ezekiel's talking about. Listen to what he says, and this begins in John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. See, he's already given this, this scenario of hirelings that come in to tend the sheep. And when the wolves come, what do the hirelings do? They run because, well, the sheep ain't theirs. They're just there for the pay. Uh, they don't care anything about the sheep. I mean, verse 13 says that. He's a hireling and careth not for the sheep. But Jesus is not like a hireling. These sheep are his. He cares for them. He is the good shepherd, he says. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, just reminding people. He doesn't say I lay down my life for the goats. He says I lay my life down for the sheep, those who are his who hear his voice, who know him. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. What fold? They're not of the Jews, but they're of the Greeks, the Gentiles. He's got sheep among them too. Isn't that what Ezekiel says? Out from among the heathen, 
Yep, that's exactly what he says. I have those who are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Hmm, that sounds just like Ezekiel when he says they're going to have one king and they're going to be one nation. Same thing, same thing. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. So he came that he might give his life for the sheep, that he might bring all of the sheep into one fold and that he might be the shepherd or in Ezekiel's words, the king, the one king over them all. Not just in a postage stamp piece of land, not in a geopolitical sense or this kind of stuff, but across the world, he's going to be king of those sheep. Okay. Ephesians 2. We touched on this and we read this as we were talking about this. So I, I want to reiterate this again. Most people know, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, of the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Most people today leave off verse 10 because they want fire insurance. They want to make sure they go to heaven for whatever reason, and they don't go to hell. That's, the, that's their scenario. But they forget why they've been saved and what they've been saved from, by the way. Verse 10. For we are his work, there's no reason for boasting because we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's not to get saved, that's because you have been saved, okay? Because you have been saved. And then he says, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in what? Good works. There's nothing wrong with good works if they're done in response to the work of Christ in us. If you're trying to do good works to try to somehow obtain God's favor, then you've got it backwards. The scriptures say that we, that we are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, and the result of his workmanship, the, the result of his work in us, of his quickening us, as it says, I think, in verse 4 of the chapter, is that we perform good works. We love. That's what the good works are. We love our fellow man, and we love God, and we demonstrate it. Okay, It's not like a Budweiser commercial where we throw our arm around somebody and we say, oh, I love you, man. No, it's in, a, it's in demonstration just like Jesus did. Okay, so notice what he says that goes on. Verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles, remember he's talking to the believers at Ephesus. He's not talking about believers in Jerusalem. Ye being in time past, that's interesting, Gentiles in the flesh. This was a time past for you guys. That's what you were. Who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time ye were without Christ. See, he's talking about their past. At that time, you were without Christ. At that time, you were being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And by the way, uh, I think A.E. mentioned, don't mention citizen. There's nothing wrong with being a citizen of heaven because you are a subject of the king. Okay? So I, I got what he was saying, but there, there's, no, there's no problem with that of being... Uh, a citizen of heaven. <clears throat> but he says, you 
were at a time aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers at a time. And I'm adding that in just so you understand that he's saying this is what they were. A strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, notice the change of time. But now, in the past, this was the truth. Now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Nigh to what? The commonwealth of Israel to the covenants of promise and to the king. You've been brought close, nigh, by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Do you remember that from Ezekiel? I'm going to have a covenant of peace with them. He is our peace who hath made both one, both, both one, what are you talking about? The Jew and the Gentile. He's made both of them one. Hmm, does that sound like those two sticks coming together? Yes, it does. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. He didn't do away with his moral law. He did away with that ceremonial stuff because it was fulfilled in him. Now, did he fulfill the moral law too? Yep, absolutely. But specifically, it says, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, the two, the Gentile and the Jew, one new man, so making peace. Isn't that interesting? That sounds just like what Ezekiel said would happen. And it did. And Paul goes on and he says, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were nigh. So the gospel went to the Jew, and it went to the Greek, or the Gentile. Paul says as much. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, and then for the Greek. But they all become one in if they are in Christ. For through him, verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but I know you don't like the word, but this is what it says, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, that's the writings of the scriptures. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building. Mm, what building? Oh yeah, this is that sanctuary that's spoken of. This is, this is that, when Ezekiel goes on, I think it's in 40 through 48 or something, uh, he references a temple being built. And this is what the... The uh, the rabbi is talking about that. Well, the temple wasn't torn down. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you some stuff. You guys will pick up on it real quick. Most of you know this, but I'm going to put it to you in probably a way you haven't seen it in, in response to this this rabbi. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. 
all throughout the scripture, we're told, you know, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're told that Jesus himself points to himself as greater than the temple. In fact, this was some of the charge laid to him as to why he should be crucified. Yeah, this was, this was part of that. And apparently this rabbi, uh, when he reads the law, as the scripture says, the veil's still over his eyes. Now, he, I don't believe he's a real Jew in the sense of what the scriptures say because he's not practicing anything that the scriptures say. So here we go. This is Matthew 27 and verse 40. And remember, they brought in false witnesses against Jesus. They have brought him to the place of Golgotha. They have nailed him to the cross, and now they're mocking him. I mean, think of the wickedness of these men. This is an innocent man. They know he's innocent. They brought in false witnesses against him. They've, they've pressured Pilate to go along with their little plan, and he does. He can wash his hands all he wants, but he's the one who gives the order. Take him away and you know do it. I'm washing my hands of it, but take him away and do it. He gives the order to do it. They go and do it, and notice what they were doing. He's been beaten. He's been flogged to where you can't even recognize him, the prophets say, as a his visage is not even noticeable as a man. He literally, if you can even imagine it, he looks like, a hunk of meat with legs and arms, if, if you can even picture that. His flesh has been pulled, bones are showing, all of this stuff. He's been stripped naked. The only thing he has in this world is, a, is some clothing. And what are they doing? Well, they're, they're casting lots for it. They're gambling for it right in front of him. And they that passed by reviled him, verse 39 of Matthew chapter 27. They reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. Now, he did say that, didn't he? Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What was he talking about? Well, they thought he was talking about the temple standing there. He was talking about it about his body. That's what the scriptures say. Come down from the cross if thou be the Son of God, or if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And they mocked him. Verse 42. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, if that's what, and they understood him to say that. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe him. No, they wouldn't. He could come down off the cross, slap them across the face, put all his skin back together and do and transform in front of them and they wouldn't believe him. Why? Because they're spiritually blind. They need regeneration. They need to be born again. They're not going to believe him. A wicked generation looks for signs. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for signs. Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for signs? Is that what you're looking for? Mm. Might want to check that out in Scripture. Other places. Now, Ezekiel tells us <clears throat> a couple of things here. And I could go to Romans chapter 9 too. I think I opened that up uh, as to this Israel that's spoken of. And this is just real quick. Romans chapter 9. Here's what Paul says, verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. 
the Israelites, right, who are Israelites, and he lets you know exactly who he's talking about, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Mm, that's kind of interesting too, isn't it? Who is Christ in the flesh? Who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. And amen. Not as though the word of God hath not had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Do you get that? This is why Jesus would look at the Pharisees who said, our father is Abraham. And Jesus said, nope, your father is the devil, because if your father was Abraham, you'd do the works of Abraham because you would have the faith of Abraham. Galatians chapter three, this is what we went, this is what we read yesterday. And then he says, these are not children, the one after the flesh, they're not children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Who are the children of promise? Read Galatians 3. Go back and listen yesterday as we looked at this. The children of Abraham have the faith of Abraham. The children of flesh do not have the faith of Abraham. This is why I completely reject anybody the, the, and and the, the underlying theology and ideology that says Judaism is an Abrahamic faith. No, it is not. Islam is an Abrahamic faith. No, it is not. They do not have the faith of Abraham. They do not believe in the promised seed. This rabbi just rejected it. Jesus is not the Messiah. The one thing he doesn't answer is the time frame of Daniel chapter 9. And the Islamists don't believe it either. They can tell you they believe in Jesus. That doesn't, that doesn't answer squat. Ask him the, what they believe about Jesus. Oh, he's a prophet, but he's second to Muhammad. Hmm. What does Jesus say about himself? Mm -hmm. Just stop and think about it. You've got to go further than people saying, I believe in Jesus. So what? What do you believe about Jesus? And that makes all the difference in the world, by the way. It makes all the difference in the world. All right, so we've got a lot to cover. <laughs> so he tells them, and we're going to have to pick this up on the other side, uh, but we're going to get into some of these other parts here of the latter part of Ezekiel 37. So if you want to continue this with us, man, my time just runs out so fast. I guess I just say a lot. I, I don't know. Um, I, I try to make it simple, but I was trying to also cover some other things. If you want to catch this, sonsoflibertymedia.com. That's where we're going to finish this up. Also, beforeitsnews.com or Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Don't know what's going to happen. I think Bradley's going to have an educational video, but if not, he'll be live on sonsoflibertymedia.com, 3 p.m. Eastern. And then, Lord willing, I'm going to be back with you in the morning. And carry on. See you then. All right. I want to welcome everybody coming over from listening on the radio and, uh, and I've got to change that because the guys at Missouri Liberty Radio are carrying us as well in the afternoons at 4 p.m. Central and uh, appreciate uh, Sam and his gang. By the way, I'm going to be on with Sam in a couple of days. It's going to be on the 28th, which will be Sunday evening 
and I think it's at 8 Eastern. I'm going to be on his show. You can find it at Missouri Liberty Radio. I think it's MOLibertyRadio.com, I think. You can put in Missouri Missouri Liberty uh, Missouri Liberty Radio, and I'm going to be on with Sam, and I, I think he's got a two-hour show. I don't know how much I'm going to be on there, but I'm going to be on there with him, and we'll talk about some things. I think you'll like Sam. He's a... He's a I've had a conversation with him, quite a lengthy one, and he just seems to be a really great guy. I think you'll really appreciate uh, Sam a lot. But notice what he says here. So hes they're not going to be divided into kingdoms. There's going to be one people. There's going to be one king. Now, we've seen the fulfillment of that in Jesus' words and what has been revealed in Ephesians 2. There is not the, 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 the people today that want to split the people of God up and say, those people over there in geopolitical antichrist state of Israel, and they are antichrist, read First and Second John about what an antichrist is, they're somehow God's people, God's chosen people. No, they're not. No, they're not. If you want to find God's chosen people, find those who love Jesus, who are in Jesus, who want to obey Jesus, who submit to him, as Lord, those are the chosen people of God, not antichrists. We got to get out of that mindset. Okay, we have to do that. But notice what he says here. Verse 22 of Ezekiel 37, I will make them one nation, the land upon the mountains of Israel, one king to be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. You remember, this was a part of the naming of the children that Hosea and Gomer had. They, they, some were, you know, my, you're my people. Now you're not my people. And the people who were not my people are now my people. Who, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what he would do here. He's talking about what Jesus said about uh, this in Matthew 21 that we read. He's going to take the kingdom from these guys who haven't borne any fruit, and he's going to give it to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Is that replacement theology? Nope. Nope, it's not. It's the fulfillment of what the scripture said would happen. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who is that seed? Not as to seeds, says Paul in Galatians 3, but as to seed, which is Christ. Christ the King. All right? Now, here it goes. Oh, we're back over here in Ezekiel. Okay, so I just, I, I hit this and I've just got so much and I'm, I'm thinking I'm not going to get it all in. And I really want to finish it so that it's, it's out there. Okay, so he says this, and David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now, I had a guy on the show one time. He took a shot at, at Jesus right near the end. And I couldn't let that stand. Some people got upset. But look, if you're going to come on the shot, if you're going to come on the show and you're going to take shots that you can't back up, which he couldn't, at Jesus and push the black Hebrew narrative, you're going to get called out on it. You're going to get called out about that. And he said, oh, God's going to raise David from the dead and David's going to be the king. This is what he says. See, they don't understand the promises of God. How the New Testament reveals 
what was in essence concealed somewhat in the Old Testament. Okay? It reveals it in the person of Christ. And who is David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd? It's the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant that his heir will occupy that throne forever. Jesus is not giving up the throne. He's got the throne. And let me ask you something, because I know some people have made this comment. They've said, uh, and I was speaking with a friend last night, and we, we kind of came across this example. Some people say, well, I don't see the king. He's in heaven, so it's not really happening here. Um, it, you know, his kingdom is, is it's, it's, it's a real kingdom, but it's not real. It's spiritual, but, it, you know, it's, I don't see, you know, I've had people even write and say, well, if this is the kingdom, doesn't look like a very good kingdom. Again, the kingdom doesn't come with observation. Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever met the president? Any of them? Most of us haven't met them. Now, some people may have in this audience. You may have shook hands with them. You don't really know them. You don't sit. You can't call them up on the phone and say, hey, can I have a conversation with you? How many of you uh, know your representatives in D.C.? Now, some of you may have met them. Some of you may have some intimate conversation. I don't know. But most people have never been there. The most they know is whatever they see on TV or hear on radio. But they don't know those people. For all intents and purposes, they're out of their life. Nevertheless, when they pass pretended law or whatever, they sign those laws in, are they being applied to you? Whether you like it or not? Now, there are ways out of things. I, I'm, I'm seeing that more and more. There are ways out from under Caesar, if you will, and his immor immorality and his uh, lawless laws, his pretended laws. There's ways out of that. But for the most part, you don't see them, but they're establishing their, their wicked kingdom, aren't they? They are. And that those, those wicked laws, those lawless laws, those pretended laws, just like our forefathers had in the Declaration of Independence, where they were pointing it out with the king, they have an impact on your life, whether you like it, whether you've met them or not. So how come that kingdom is more real than the kingdom of the Lord Jesus who gives you commands and says, you do things this way? You, you use this as your, as your money. You have just weights and measures. You don't do these things, and you do these things. How is that less real and less a kingdom than what you see going on here in the United States or if you're in another country, in your, in your country? How is that a less of a kingdom? It's not. In fact, it's more real, and it's definitely more authoritative than these other ones. Why? Because Jesus is king of the nations. And all men everywhere are commanded to repent and bow before this king. That is the that's part of the gospel message. What, what's repentance? It's calling for people to submit to the king and to his law. That's what it is. Stop breaking it. Start submitting to the king. That's, I mean, goodness gracious. So he says, 
David, my servant, shall be king over them. Again, this is not David of the Old Testament. This is the David of the New Testament. This is the Lord Jesus. How do I know that? Peter says it in Acts chapter 2 in his message to those on the day of uh, Pentecost. He says, you can see David over there. His, his tomb is with us to this day. He's not talking about David. He's talking about Christ, the one he raised up who wouldn't see, his Holy One wouldn't see corruption. He wasn't talking about David. He was talking about Christ. And this Christ that God has raised up, he's made him, this Jesus, uh, I'm getting my words off. I really probably should go and read the text to you. But he says, this Jesus whom God raised up is both Christ and he's Lord. Okay. So what does he say? He'll be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd, and they shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And do them. There's an interesting thing, by the way. Uh, I was going through some stuff, and I, I came across this. I'm, this is just a little side note. But there was something I came across the other day as I was uh, reading some things. And um, many of you have probably heard, because I know you have questions about Revelation. I get it. I get it. And I told you, just be patient. But I'm just going to throw this little nugget in there about this. They're going to obey his judgments, his statutes. Okay? Some people will say, well, the church isn't mentioned. The ecclesia isn't mentioned after... Revelation chapter 4. Why? Because John's caught up, and then they want to say that's the rapture and all this stuff. And I, I just, I, I don't buy it. Because, number one, Revelation chapter 4 doesn't mention the church at all. In fact, what it says is, that this is the New King James, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, the term ecclesia is used in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. That's clear it's, it's used there. It's not used in chapter 4. And it seems clear to me, John's in the Spirit, right? And he's being called up to heaven because what? I'm going to show you things which must take place after this. Okay? It's not talking about the church. And so the people say, well, the church isn't mentioned because it's not here on earth. The rapture happened and blah, 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 blah. Okay. That's not what it's saying, but <laughs> let me ask you something. Is the ecclesia or the people of God, are they referred to as any other thing in the scriptures? Of course they are. Peter says they're a chosen uh, generation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. All of this kind of stuff, okay? So he references them as that. They're called the followers of the way. They were first called Christians at Antioch. There's a lot of things in which the church is referred to in the scriptures. But let's look at just a couple of things of how the church is referred to, and it ties right back into what we um, took from Ezekiel 37. And this is in the book of Revelation. And you tell me whether or not the church is there. They are there. They're there all through the book of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. 
And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each one of them, each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was complete. Who are these people? Who are these souls? Are they the church? Yep, they sure are. They sure are. Revelation 12 verses 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. Hmm. Notice what he says. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. Have come. That's pretty... Do you guys remember what we read with Matthew 24 and Luke 21? Know that it is nigh even at the door. Know that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. In Revelation, it says it's come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Who, who overcomes by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony? Who does that? That's the church, isn't it? That's the ecclesia, the people of God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who does that? Who keeps the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ? Is it not the people of God? Is it not the ecclesia? Yeah, of course it is. Revelation 13, 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. Who are the saints? Who do we read all in the New Testament that are called saints? That is the church. That is the people of God, the ecclesia. And to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Revelation 14, verses 12 through 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Again, who are the saints? The people of God. Ecclesia. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Who does that? The Ecclesia, the people of God. The people outside the Ecclesia aren't doing it. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Who does that happen to? Does that happen to the unbelieving world? Nope. That happens to the people of God. The ecclesia. So even though the term isn't used after chapter 3 of Revelation, the description of the saints, the people of God, the ecclesia, the church, is found all through the book. It's all through it. I mean, my goodness, this is, it really is simple, but I understand why people, why it's hard. Because you've been taught wrong. And I'm look, I'm not claiming I'm coming out with something new. I think a lot of this stuff has been preached, and I can, I've can i got various quotes from a lot of historians, church historians, people early on who upheld the same thing. Same thing. All right. Sorry, I get a little excited about this because I see it, and I go... Why was it so long for me to see things too? It was because of the error that was taught to me. 
And when that error gets in your mind, I think this is probably why God has a harsher judgment. And there's things, look, there's things that I have to answer for. I don't want to answer for. I, I don't want to answer for them. I know the seriousness of that. But this is plain and clear. And nobody can take it from me. You can call me what you want. You can make fun of me. You can call me a wolf. You can call me a false teacher. You can call me a heretic. You can call me what you want. I know what I've got, and it's in the text, in its context. I know what I have. I have Christ, and he's the fulfillment of all these prophecies. He's, the fulfill he's not waiting to fulfill it. He's fulfilled it. And if he hasn't fulfilled it, it's just like what the rabbi said. He's not the Messiah, and we should, we should quit talking about him and following him and, and call him a false teacher and a false prophet. But I don't see that at all. I see him doing exactly what the scriptures say, exactly what he said he was there to do. Okay? We read from, <clears throat> uh, we, well, in Ezekiel, let's go back there. He says this. Dwell, they'll dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. For my servant David shall be their prince forever. And again, we know the servant David is Christ. It's clear he's talking about Christ. And I'll make a covenant of peace with them. Remember we read that out of Ephesians 2. Peace. I've got a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. And my tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. Now, I'm just going to kind of pass through some different places in the Scripture where we see these kinds of things. He's going to have a covenant of peace. Now, we read that out of Ephesians 2, but he also reiterates it in um, Hebrews chapter 8. And we're going to talk about his tabernacle, his sanctuary, right? But we're going to talk about this covenant first. In, in verse 8 of chapter 8 of Hebrews, he says, For at that first, uh, excuse me, let me back up to verse 6. But now hath, or excuse me, let me just back right on up here because I'm noticing this as well. I hate this when I drop down and I just want to catch the whole context of what he's saying here. Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he should not be priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto us, or who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So when Moses got the blueprints, if you will, for the tabernacle in the Old Testament, what was he basing it off of? He was basing it off of what he saw in the heavenly realm. That's what he based it off of. So even the earthly tabernacle was merely a picture of what the real tabernacle was. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. He's talking about Christ, which was established upon better promises. 
you know, the old covenant was just, well, here's this land uh, that you're going to be in, and here's the law, and here's the blessings, here's the cursings, and that's laid out. In the New Testament, it's about the whole earth, and it's about bringing in the Gentiles. It's about bringing them all men under the kingship of Christ and of his law. Men are not allowed, even though they're doing it, they've been told to repent. Psalm chapter 2, kiss the son lest he become angry. That, that's, that's what he says. And he says this, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. Oh my goodness. Which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob. Remember, he's quoting out of, I believe it's Jeremiah here. And he says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. And make distinction here. When he says that, he's talking about the old covenant, the one that Moses brought. He is not talking about the Abrahamic covenant. That's something different. Now, they kind of, a lot of these overlap one another, and I would say the new covenant is like all these other covenants are kind of building up. They're the stalk, they're the leaves uh, of, the, of the flower, and the new covenant is, is like the, the full bloom of the flower when it comes out in the springtime or in the summer. That's what the new covenant, it isn't completely disconnected from all those things. All those things pointed to the new covenant, the fulfillment of it, the kingdom, the king, what the, what the king would do, all of these kinds of things. Okay? No, it's not, it's not that. I've stayed in Ezekiel chapter 37, Stuffy. I'm just, what I'm showing you is how it's fulfilled. That's different than me stringing along a bunch of verses to make those verses say something that they don't say in their context. That's completely different. And if you watched David Jeremiah yesterday, that's what you would see. You see Bible ping pong. He grabbed seven years out of Daniel, took it from its context, didn't interpret it in its context, and made it into something else to tell you there's seven-year tribulation and Antichrist, which isn't even mentioned in Daniel 9, all of that kind of stuff. That's Bible ping pong. We've stayed in the context of Ezekiel 30, uh, 37, excuse me, and then what we're doing is we're going to say, were these things fulfilled? So we come out of it to see, where were they fulfilled in the New Testament? And I think it's clear that they were fulfilled, and then we go right back into the context. So the context is not missing. Bible ping pong is pulling text from their context to make them a proof text. But they don't interpret rightly in their context. That's what I mean by Bible ping pong. Okay. He then goes on and he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. That's one. 
Then we see this. Okay. And all of this is all of these, all I'm doing is like what I was I was explaining to Stuffy. And Stuffy, I wasn't like backhanding you. Okay. That wasn't what I was doing. I'm trying to clarify because some other people said, Well, you play Bible ping pong too. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm going down the context. And if you can't see that, I don't know how to help you. I've stayed in Ezekiel 37. I've only gone to the other passages to show you that they are fulfilled. They're not waiting to be fulfilled. They are fulfilled in Christ. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I just, I want you to understand the way in which I'm presenting it. It's not the, I want you to understand what I mean when I say Bible ping pong. Okay. All right. Now, this is another one. Luke chapter one. Notice what it says. So the angel has come to Mary, Gabriel. He's, he's going to tell her what happens. Verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now, why was he called Jesus? Well, Matthew one twenty one says it was because he would save his people from their sins. And here he says, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall... What, what does that say? And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Mm, does that sound like Ezekiel 37? Yes, it does. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And uh, listen to this one. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. No end. The increase of his government is, it, it, that's exactly what it is. There's not going to be an end to that. It's not going to stay in this little postage stamp piece of land of Israel in the day. It's going to go out throughout the whole world. It's going to go out through the whole world. And who's going to be on the throne? Is it the Old Testament David? Or is it the promised one that God said to David would sit on his throne, his heir? Oh, it's his heir. It's Jesus. And guess what? He has not abrogated that throne, his laws, or his rule to anyone. In fact, all men, doesn't matter their position, doesn't matter their ethnicity, doesn't matter the nation they come from, what tongue they speak, or what tribe they're from, they are called to repent and to bow the knee to this king the one who sits on the throne of his father, David. Now, here again, he has a people, and he says that their nation, remember we read Jesus' word, I'm going to take it from you, I'm going to give it to a nation, bear the fruits thereof. Well, who's that nation? Well, it's the ecclesia. It's the real Israel. Okay? Notice what, pe what Peter calls believers. And again, let's get the context here. What he says, verse six, and we're going to do it. We're going to do a thing on the stone here because that, that's pretty fascinating as well. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. 
and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, who's the ye he's talking about? These are the believers there that he writes to in First Peter. Go back in chapter 1. Uh, well, I could back, but you get it. that He's talking to believers. But you, ye, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Watch this. A holy nation. It's the same language that Peter uses in the New Testament to speak about the New Testament ecclesia. He, he's speaking about them that they use in the Old Testament. Who was called a chosen generation? Israel was in the Old Testament. Who was the royal priesthood? Well, that was the Levites. Who was the holy nation? It was Israel. Who was a peculiar people? It was Israel. They were a holy people. They were sanctified. They were set apart by God himself. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people. And doesn't this sound just like Ephesians 2? Doesn't this sound like the gathering in of Israel from the heathen, Ezekiel 37? Yes, it does. You were not, in time past, were not a people, but are now the people of God. <sighs> there it is, a rebuke to every preacher who preaches the false doctrine, and it is a false doctrine, that the modern state of Israel and those who call themselves Jews, but they reject Jesus the Messiah as God's chosen people. No, they're not. Peter says it is those who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, who have as their foundation the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. They are the true Jews. They are the true Israel. This is not hard to understand. It really isn't. And if you're having difficulty, I would admonish you. Read Galatians, read the whole book of Galatians and just take your time. Read the pronouns. Read what's being said. Just go slow with it. But especially focus on Galatians 3. See who are the people of God. See who the children of Abraham. See who the true Israel is. You'll get down to chapter 6 of Galatians, and he's going to equate the church with the, the Israel of God. That's what he does. This is not hard to understand, but it's difficult when somebody's taught you lies and haven't stayed in the context. Okay? So, he says this, and he says, um, not only are they the people of God, they've which had not attained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You didn't have mercy before, now you have mercy. I mean, it's it's really, really incredible. Psalm 2, we've read before. And again, Psalm 2 is referenced all throughout the New Testament. It's one of the most referenced passages in all of the New Testament. As far as fulfillment that I can see, where people are, you know, where the apostles are drawing out from Psalm 2. You've got the, um, the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. I mean, this is clearly what went on in the first century against Jesus. The rulers of the Jews and the Romans, they're coming together. God laughs at them, verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Has he set him on there or is he not? Yep, he set him there. We just read it. He's given him the throne of David forever. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. 
Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. This is that other flock that Jesus talked about in John chapter 10. This is the other flock. I'm going to give the heathen for and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Yeah, America is not Israel. Only the people of God who have the faith of Abraham are the true Israel. And they're all throughout the earth. What does Revelation teach? He saves people out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Every one of them. Every one of them. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord, that's Yahweh, you see it in all capital letters, that is the covenant name of God, that's his name, okay? His name's not Lord, his name's not God, his name is Yahweh. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. The psalm is clear. The psalmist is clear. The heathen are the inheritance of our Lord. He is on the throne. He is the lawgiver. And all of those kings and all of those rulers and all of those judges should kiss the sun. What does that mean? Does that mean go up and go, no, it means you better make some peace with the king. You better do what the king said. Quit making up your own ways. Quit determining good and bad in your own sight, which is what our first parents did. They wanted to determine what was good and evil in their own sight and not submit to what God's law was, which was you can have everything, just don't eat of that tree over there. And they said, no, 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 we, we know better. This, this fruit makes us, it, it can make us wise. It looks like it's good, like it's succulent and all that. And we're just going to... They wanted to determine good and evil for themselves. God determines good and evil. He's the one who's done that. And so the psalmist says, you better kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Now about this issue of sanctuary. Uh, Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to tabernacle also will be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I, this is, I, I got to tell you, this is, this is so incredible. This is, um, Okay, so here is what we read here. This is John chapter 1. I'm going to try to go through these really, really quick. If you've got something you want to call in, maybe you have a comment you want or a question, the number's still available to you guys. It's 803-619-9855. That's only good, though, while the show is live. You come in and watch the replay, it's not going to be available to you. Sorry, you have to call while it's live. Okay? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word that's being spoken of in the beginning was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. What things were made by what things were made by God? All things. 
Who is God? The Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I hear Jehovah's Witnesses, friends, they, they say, oh, no, uh, God made this Jesus who was really Michael the archangel, if I understand it correctly, and then he made all things. Well, that's not what the Scripture says. Scripture says the Word was God, he made all things, and nothing was made that wasn't made by him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Then he changes gears, and he says, There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. And the same came for, for a witness, to bear witness of the light. What is the light? Well, this is the one spoken of before, the light of men, the word God. Okay? That all men through him might believe. He was not that light. John was not the light. He was not Christ, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Remember when they asked him, who are you? He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the paths for Yahweh. Lord, the, the big capital letter, Lord. I use that with my Jehovah's Witness friends, by the way. Who was John making a path for? Yep, he was making it for Jesus. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Hmm. God came into the world, clothed in flesh, and the world knew him not. And he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, notice this, not of blood. Okay? It's not about their pedigree nor the will of the flesh, isn't about their will or their desire, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and notice this, and dwelt among us. And this idea is he tabernacled. The difference between the tabernacle and the temple, obviously one is like a giant tent, the other one is a solid structure that doesn't move, but the tabernacle moved with the people. They would set it up, and they were going to be in an area. They had it set up for however many days they're there, or how many months, or whatever the case may be. And then they would take it up, and it would move with them. The presence And the presence of God would come down there. We saw that in the Old Testament, the Shekinah glory would come into the Holy of Holies, and that would be with the people. Okay, And then it says that the Word was made flesh. Now, who's the Word? What did it say in the beginning? The Word was God. This is what I tell my Muslim friends. Well, that's been corrupted because God can't become man. Okay, show me where it's been corrupted because we've got a t thousands of manuscripts and none of them show any corruption to it. Not, not when it comes to this. It's very clear. He dwelt among us. The term there for dwelt is this idea of tabernacling. He is with us. He moves with us. He's not one that just sets down in one spot. He is with us. He dwelt among the people there of the day. And John says, and we, we, he's including himself with the eyewitnesses, beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's pretty interesting. He dwelt among the people. Isn't that what Ezekiel talks about? Well, yes, it is. Look at what he says. 
Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I am that I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. Now there's some more. I want you to listen to some of the language. I'm just going to read some of these passages. I'm not going to elaborate a bunch, but this is for you to kind of get the idea, and you'll pick up on it. John says he came and he tabernacled with He dwelt among the people there. Okay? Matthew 12 and verse, let's just read verse 3 here, beginning. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did? When he was unhungered, and they, were, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God, and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Now he's talking about the issue of the Sabbath. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? They got to do the work here, but they're they're violating all your stuff here about the Sabbath, but they're blamed, they're considered blameless. And then verse 6 says, But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. Oh, that's powerful. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. How can that be? Because he's the one who instituted the Sabbath day from the beginning. Why? Because he made all things. Now keep that in mind. It's talking about one that's greater than the temple. Okay? Mark chapter 4. Listen to what he says here. And again, this we kind of touched on this a little while ago. Mark chapter 14, verse 55. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him. Now this is, they're trying him, they're trying Jesus for a capital crime. These false witnesses should have faced the very punishment they were testifying falsely against Jesus for. They should have been the ones crucified. Okay? If you're going to follow God's law, that's what should be done. But their witness agreed not together, and there arose certain and bare false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. This is where the, the priest stands up and he asks him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And of course, we don't have that on the screen, but he says, Yeah, it's as you say. And now you're going to see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. You're going to see it, Caiaphas. But notice what he says. These guys falsely testified against him. That what they're claiming here is he's going to destroy the temple that's going to be destroyed later on. He's going to destroy that, and he's going to raise it up. But if you recall, in the text, it actually says what? 
destroy this temple. Three days I'll raise it again. And he spoke not of the temple that was being built, because it was still under construction until right before it was destroyed, but he spoke of his body. He spoke of himself. How do I know that? Matthew 26, 61. Let's look again. Same kind of deal. Chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Same thing. Same thing. Here's another one. Matthew 27, 40. And this is what we read a minute ago out of another passage. And here they come mocking him, saying, Thou hast destroyed, uh, thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. We want to see signs and miracles and wonders and fish sticks and bread and you know, we want circuses and give us stuff. We want signs. Jesus said it's a wicked and adulterous generation that looks for signs. It really is. Nothing wrong with signs being delivered. Nothing wrong with healings and deliverance and all of that other stuff. Jesus did those things. But if that's what you're looking for, you're wicked and adulterous. And that's what he called them. That's what he called them. But he said, what did he say? Hmm. Pretty incredible. There's some other things that relate to this. Of course, we're, we're told by Paul our bodies are the temple of the, the Holy Spirit. We read in Revelation chapter, I think it's 2 and 3, and just really quickly hitting on it, it talks about the one who overcomes will be a pillar in the temple of my God. Hmm. God inhabits the praise of his people. He comes in the midst of his people where two or three witnesses, we went through this of how you do discipline within the ecclesia, the assembly, Matthew 18. We, we did a whole show on that. What does he say? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Hmm. But notice what? For instance, Revelation 21, 22. We're going to tackle a couple of these. I'll just throw these out again. I'm, I'm asking you to consider this as the fulfillment of what Ezekiel's saying. He's talked about the city, the new Jerusalem. By the way, I'll hit that in just a second. He, he talks about the foundations and all. We were, that comes before this. But notice what he says. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. No temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. By the way, let's just... Uh, do I want to back up? Let me see where, where I went to with this one. Yeah, this was one. This is still Revelation chapter 21. And I want you to notice what this new Jerusalem is, okay? Everybody's got this picture of we're going to see it. It's going to be observable. Remember, they have that thing, and Jesus says the kingdom doesn't come with observation, okay? Listen to what it says, verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Who is that? Who's the bride? Who's the lamb's wife? 
And who is the lamb? Well, the lamb is the son of God. It is Jesus. As slain from the foundation of the world is how John saw him. Okay? Who's the bride? It's the church. The church is for is whom Christ gave himself for. And he teaches us in Ephesians 5 that us as husbands and wives, we are pictures of Christ and his church. Isn't that what it says? Yes, it is. So he's going to show him the lamb's wife. And what does he show him? Let me show you. Verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Are you starting to get the picture now? Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And he had, and it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of, of the children of Israel. And on the east, three gates and on the north, three gates and on the south, three gates and on the west, three gates. Now he, he is not, he, God is not or Jesus is not taking some literal city as his bride. The city is being shown as an illustration of what the bride is. It's the people of God. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof, and 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man that is of the angel and the building of the wall of it was as of jasper the city was pure gold like unto clear glass this is the bride this is the this is the lamb's wife that he's talking about now you and i know the church are the people <laughs> he's not talking about some physical city that's not what he's talking about and i think that's pretty simple to understand again it's, this is an apocalyptic book that John's writing. And then I'm going to get into all these words that I'm not going to pronounce, but I'll give you a little comic relief this morning. Okay. <laughs> and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was Jasper, the second Sapphire, the third was Chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Burl, the ninth a Topaz, the tenth Chrysoprasus, uh, the 11th adjacent, the 12th, and amethyst. Boy, I, I guess I got through that okay. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun. I mean, did you catch that? I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. When you read Ezekiel 40 through 48 and you read about this great temple, friends, this is it. This is it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. What did we just read in John chapter 1, he was the light of the world. 
he lighteth every man. <laughs> I mean, I just, and, and then notice this, notice this part. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Hmm. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. Is he talking about days and nights like we think of that? No, he's talking about being in the light. I mean, he just said it. The Lamb is the light thereof. Apocalyptic language. What does John say the light and the darkness is? Read First John. He says, you can't say that you, you know, love God and, and hate your brother. and You, you can't live in darkness and, and, and claim you're in the light. I mean, all of this is clear in the light of what Scripture says. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the bride that John saw. And it is the church. Okay? Galatians chapter 4. I want to hit this because Paul says as much. He talks about this heavenly Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 4. We didn't go through this yesterday. We, we, do, we did um, Galatians chapter 3. But there's, there's something really great about Galatians chapter 4. And this is probably where I'm going to have to stop. And I hate to do this because I've got other stuff there. So we may have to take one more day, at least a portion of it, to kind of cover some of this. Okay, But just bear with me. This is Galatians chapter 4. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to end on this note, and they'll deal with some of the land stuff tomorrow. Okay, Lord willing, that's what we'll do. Galatians chapter 4, notice what it says. And again, all of this is tied back to Ezekiel. I just want to go here, then I'll come back to there. just want to make sure you understand it. I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Okay? All right, so back to Galatians chapter 4. We've already read who the bride is, how this temple construct works, and then what does he say here? Notice this. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now there's a whole thing that I can go into with, uh, with Second Peter about that, the elements of the world and what, what that understanding is. But that's not my focus right now. So notice what he says. But when the fullness of the time was come, what is he referencing? I think he's referencing exactly what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 9. He knew there was a time the Messiah was coming. This is what this Jewish guy, this rabbi I play at the first, he doesn't mention Daniel chapter 9. Why doesn't he do that? Because he would, because it would expose him for not believing what Daniel said about the time frame of the Messiah coming and what the Messiah would do. He doesn't answer that. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, 
made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. Why do you serve other gods that are not gods? They're, they are little lawgivers, but they don't adhere to the lawgiver. But now, after that, ye have known God, or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements? There it is again. Whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Remember, they're, being, they're trying to, these Judaizers are coming in, trying to pull them back into Judaism which is an affront to Christ and to the law of God. You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know, or excuse me, ye know, how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye speak of, or ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye may affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law. Now watch what he says about this. Do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are two covenants. Hmm. So Paul interprets what's going on back there in Genesis with Sarai and Hagar. Okay, The free woman and the bondwoman. And he says it's an allegory for two different covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. So he looks at earthly Israel, uh, the Jerusalem there, and he says, this is bondage. This is bondage. Ah, but there's another covenant. But Jerusalem, which is above, what does that sound like to you? Does that sound like what we just read in Revelation, the Lamb's wife? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he's talking about. But Jerusalem, and he's going to tell you in a minute, they've already come to that, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, 
Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise, but as then he that was born after the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, the, the child of promise. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? What saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And that's the end of the chapter there. And he talks about standing in liberty, and he goes on to say, we've come. We've come to this heavenly, this holy Jerusalem that's above. We've already come there. Friends, Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled. And if, if these people who call themselves Jews and are not, are rabbis and are not, because they don't understand the scriptures, and they, the guy says, you need to know your Tanakh, you need to know your scriptures. You absolutely do need to know your scriptures, and you need to know how Christ fulfilled all of these things in the time frame that he was to fill them, which was at the end of the world, in the last days, and at the time of the end. He fulfilled them. These guys have missed it. There's a timetable that sits there in Daniel chapter 9 that points the finger at them and condemns them for their unbelief. It does that. I don't have to condemn. Jesus said the world's already condemned. He came in the world to save, not to condemn. It's already condemned. But that time frame for everybody that says Jesus didn't do what he, those six things that Daniel said he would do and all that the prophets said that he would do, the, the Messiah and that messianic period, they all stand in condemnation for anybody who says that he didn't do it. He did do it. And that's the point. Now, tomorrow, I'll try to, we're, we're going to leave a lot of this. I'll get to cut off some more passages of where uh, we've covered. But I do want to cover this land promise. I, I do want to take up a little bit of what Ezekiel says and, and some things like that and show you. Because there's still some people that say, oh, well, well God promised the land of Israel to, 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 to the descendants of Abraham. You know, and it's a forever thing. And this, that. Well, he's doing that. It's just he's expanded it. And he's given it to his people, to his ecclesia, to his church. He's given it to us who are believers in Christ, who have the faith of Abraham. That's who he's given it to. He's given us the earth. If we would just listen, let me end on this. I made mention yesterday that I had gone out. Um, what day are we in? We're in Wednesday, right? I, we went on Monday for my daughter's last uh, concert with uh, the youth orchestras of Charlotte. And I made comments of how they all have different instruments. They have to practice the music and play. But when they come together, what are they doing? They are under the direction of the one conductor. And if somebody gets off, if that little guy sitting back in the back with his, with his cymbals, if he's clanging the cymbals the whole song, it's going to mess up the song, isn't it? Now, he's going to do that when the music says he's supposed to. And when the conductor points his little baton out there, he's going to, and you get that crescendo, right? 
And the violinist, they're not going to play, be playing the same thing that the guy playing the tuba is. And the guy playing the tuba is not going to be playing the same stuff that the, the harpist. They, they, they blend together to make beautiful music. And here's what the problem is. The church is not understood. I mean, they say it, but I don't see the actions quite often. I do in some circles. I, I do. But they'll say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And then they... They live and conduct themselves like he's not. Imagine with me if the people of God would repent of their own wicked ways, of their own determinings of right and wrong, good and evil, and would follow what the, what the king says, the conductor, if you will, in this scenario. What beautiful music it would be when we come to the unity of the faith under King Jesus. Imagine what it would do. I'm telling you, this changes your mind. It changes your outlook. It will change your action because you can't continue in the same way you were when you see this. I, like I said, when you see it, you can't unsee it. You're going to start seeing it everywhere in the scripture. You really are. And, uh, and I believe that's because the Spirit of God opens our eyes to understand these things. All right. Uh, I don't, again, I think Bradley's not going to be with you today, but you will have, um, an educational video either way, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then Lord willing, we're going to be back in the morning. We'll pick up the series again. Uh, but large measure, we're done with Ezekiel 37. We'll, we'll touch on a little bit about the land promises. We'll go into Genesis, Joshua, Romans, and some other passages that I have here too. And we may start something new there. Anyway, that's it for today. Uh, I hope it's helpful. I know we go long. Man, this is two hours. I just... It just seems like we started about 15 minutes ago. At least to me, it does. But anyway, thank you for your patience and being with me. And again, if you got questions, I don't mind questions. The number's on the screen. Call in the morning. You can't call now because I'm going to shut it off. <laughs> but call in the morning. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you have a comment. Maybe you've got you know, something. If it's something to do with what we've talked about, that's what I'll, take, that's what I'll answer questions on. I'm not going to answer stuff that we haven't really covered just yet. Okay? And again... I have an agenda on that. I, I, I don't hide anything. I just think we need to get what's plain first. And uh, so we've got a couple of things we got to do before we get to that. Anyway, you guys have a great day. And Lord willing, we'll see you back here bright and early in the morning. Talk to you then. See ya.